Hello, this is Kenny Williamson, and welcome back to another episode of McKill's Deck Chronicles. In this episode, we're going to be listening once again to a Dr. Kent Hovid. In this episode, he is going to be discussing why use the King James Bible. Now, as you're aware of, if you have listened to my other podcasts, I am a King James Bible only person. And once you listen to the explanation here of why the King James Bible's, you know, text is superior over the other versions and how the King James Bible came to be versus the other versions, I mean, I think you'll find yourself that it's pretty compelling evidence for the King James Bible. But anyway, I won't talk too much. So here goes Ken Hoban. Uh, give it a listen and let me know what you think. Why do you use the King James? Man, it's old English. Nobody can understand it. It's hard to read. I understand all that. And as a brand new Christian, saved out of the Methodist Church, uh, I, my mom gave me every kind of new Bible version there was. Well, if a new one came out, hey, son, you're going to love this one. So I've got a huge collection of all the Bible versions. When I was 16, I had the reviled substandard perversion of the Bible. It's here someplace, my original copy. But uh, I was reading that, going to church, going to this little independent, temperamental, fundamental, right-wing, radical, chicken-eating Baptist church. And the preacher was banging on the pulpit saying the Bible's the Word of God. And I was making notes in my revised standard version. And after a couple of months, he said, Brother Hovind, you've been a Christian a few months now. Uh, it's time you get a Bible. I said, I got a Bible. He said, no, you need a real Bible. I was offended. Okay, I thought, well, I got a Bible. I've been making notes. I've been reading it an hour a day. What do you mean? He said, well, there's real problems with that one. So why King James? It's been 33, 37 years now as a Christian of you know, studying this topic. Why? Look at Psalms chapter 12. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. What does the word them refer back to in that verse? Thou shalt preserve them. Preserve what? His words. He's promising he's going to preserve his words, right? How about NIV? The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. O Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. Is that saying the same thing? I mean, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. It looks to me like somebody's wrong about this one. Okay? What does this mean? Keep us from such people. What people is it talking about? There are very serious differences between these Bible versions. We've got a book. I don't know if I have it here. It's in our library. It, the guy sent it to me. It took me six months to figure out what the title said. I read it. I said, what? Well, went out of something else. Every time I look at the book, I said, what is this? The title was, Things That Are Different Are Not The Same. I thought, well, duh, why would you title a book like that? You know, things that are different are not the same. And then I thought, wow, these Bible versions are definitely different, so you can't say they're the same. There are, as far as I understand it, 151 English translations of the Bible right now available. The law is you cannot get a copyright and therefore protect your work and therefore get more money unless you have 10% different from the original. Are there 151 different ways to say each of the verses in the Bible? At some point, you're going to have to stop saying it the right way and say it the wrong way just to make it different, just to get your copyright, just to get your money. Love of money, root of all evil. Here's a quick story. We could take an hour on this one, but right after the time of Christ, the disciples were writing their books and they were being persecuted and spreading out, you know, and people were copying these letters and copying the Gospels and spreading them out. 
persecution hit the church and they spread out everywhere. And for the next thousand years, it was horrible persecution against the church. And if they caught the heretics, the Christians, they would burn them at the stake and burn their Bibles. Well, people were spreading the Word of God around, making all kinds of copies. It takes about 10 months to write out a copy of the Bible using a pen. Now, you don't even have a good ink pen. You've got a feather and you've got to keep dipping it in the ink and keep cutting a new point on it. You don't even have a good ink pen, nor do you have good paper to write on. You know, lumpy parchment, stuff like that, or leather. But anyway, with all the obstacles they had, plus, you know, being persecuted, it took about 10 months to write out, handwrite a copy of the Bible. <clears throat> well, they're making all these copies. By the time you get to 15 and 1600s, persecution lets up. And so people decided to collect the Bible copies together from all over the world and, and compare them and put it into English. Now keep in mind, some of these copies of the Bible had not seen each other in a thousand years. There might have been people in France that were copying the Bible, and people in Africa copying the Bible, and people in China copying the Bible. And they have, you can only use a book so long and it wears out. I've got, I don't know how many, absolutely worn out Bibles. Okay? I think I have probably five or six that I've just flat, they're shot. Okay? If you're going to, a book that's in active use is going to have a, a limited life. And let's just pick a number and say, if you were really careful with your scrolls, I mean, treat it real carefully, you might make a scroll last 300 years and still use it every day. Just for illustration. Well, so in 300 years, your original is worn out, it's trash, it's junk, you throw it away because you now have, you know, 800 copies of this thing or a certain large number of copies. Then you take those copies and make copies. And after maybe a thousand years, you might be on your fourth or fifth generation from the original, but that's perfectly fine. It doesn't matter as long as the copying process was accurate. And a good way to check that copying process and see was it accurate is after, you go, after each of these, you know, the French ones and the German ones and the English ones and the Chinese ones, each go five generations. Now let's get the fifth generation and compare them all and see how accurate they are. And that's what happened in the 15 and 1600s. They got all these scrolls together, found 5,000 copies of the Bible that survived the persecution. And they were identical in everything except spelling. People's names, you know, Peter and Pedro, stuff like that had changed. So they said, man, God truly preserved His Word. It's, this is it. This is word for word exactly. He preserved it. So, meanwhile, down in Egypt, there was a group of folks, sort of like Jehovah's Witnesses. I've got the Jehovah's Witness Bible here. Um, they were a cult. They came to be known as the Alexandrians. The Alexandrians uh, did not believe in the deity of Christ. They didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. They didn't believe in a lot of Christian things, kind of like Jehovah's Witnesses today. So they made their own copy of the Bible, changing things they didn't like. They made about 6,000 changes. The primary guy in this cult was a guy named Origen. He was the leader of this cult in uh, late uh, second century, third century. The only mention of Alexandria in the Bible is when they were disputing with Stephen, arguing with the real Christians. And if you trust the principle of first mention, which I think is very important, then that'll be important to you. They say, wow, the only mention of these folks is bad. And so the, anything out of Alexandria, anything out of Egypt, period, in the Bible <laughs> seems to be bad, you know. But Origen started this, or was the primary guy in this cult. They made copies of their Bible also with their changes in it. And some of them survived. In 350 A.D., several copies were made, and three of those still survive today. One was found in the Vatican Library, and it's called Vaticanus. One was found in Alexandria, Egypt, and it's called Alexandris in the Latin. And one was found in Sinai Peninsula in a monastery. There's this old monastery at the foot of this mountain that some pharaohs or some princess said, that's Mount Sinai, and it's not Mount Sinai, by the way. But uh, 
She said, oh, that's Mount Sinai. Okay, yes, ma'am. And so they call it Mount, they still call it Mount Sinai. There's still a monastery there. <laughs> it's not in Sinai Peninsula. It's in Arabia. Read Galatians 4. But uh, they, they're in this trash can in this old monastery, this guy was visiting. He said, what's this old scroll? He said, oh, we don't know. It's been in there for years. You know, he pulled it out. It was a copy of the Bible, if you can call it that, from 380 or 350 A.D. And so that one's called uh, uh, Sinaiticus. Well, these three scrolls do not agree with each other on anything, nor do they agree with the real Bible. Okay, they're all different. The uh, Catholics, or the, the monks, translated this, uh, these three ancient scrolls into Latin centuries ago, and it became known as the Latin Vulgate. Vulgate for vulgar means the common language. Okay. Then the Catholic, by the way, that, the Latin Vulgate was a really good translation of a bad book. Then the Catholics came along in 1582 and translated the Latin Vulgate into English with the Douay Confraternity or the Douay Reims version of the Bible. And that was a really good translation of a bad book. Then two guys named Westcott and Hort came along. I've got their book here someplace on the table. Westcott and Hort came along and they were going to make a new, yeah, here we go, the Westcott-Hort only controversy. A little bitty booklet about, if you want to study this, just two, two bucks from our ministry. Westcott and Hort were two Greek scholars. Uh, I don't know if they were even Christian or not. They probably claimed that they were, like a lot of people do. Okay? But they took these three old ancient, ancient manuscripts. They didn't agree with each other, but their thinking was, these are older, therefore they are better. Well, I'll go along with the older part. I'll agree with that, but that doesn't mean they're better. But they synthesized them into one new Greek manuscript and sold it to the world in 1875 and said, we have the oldest and best manuscripts available now for you to translate. And they got the oldest ones all right. The oldest ones that survived is all. doesn't mean better. Then people started taking their Westcott and Hort version and translating it into English. First one done, 1881, as the Revised Standard, then the American Standard, the Revised Standard, uh, the Revised Version, the Revised Version first, then the Jehovah's Witness Bible, the New World Translation done in 1950. This was a good translation, fairly good translation of a bad book. Then the New American Standard, the NIV, the Good News, the Amplified, the Living Bible, all of those, and I have a lot of them. Here's the New American Standard. Uh, I think the guys who are doing this are sincere, dedicated, highly intelligent, godly Christians who are translating the wrong book and don't even know it. There are basically only two Bibles in the world, in the English. The ones translated from what's called the majority text, the King James, of which there are now 64,000 manuscripts. At the time King James guys did it, they only had 5,000. And then there's a whole other family of Bibles, all translated from the Westcott and Hort. So you have two choices. The question is not, is it a good translation? The question is, what are they translating? Okay? The excellent book uh, by Westcott and Hort, if you want to read about that. Here's, for instance, NIV, Acts chapter 8. Let's see, Adam, read verse 37 to me. Acts 8, 37. I can't do it. You can't do it. It's not, really <laughs> it's not there. There is no Acts 8, 37. They removed it, and they removed the number, okay? Now, in the New American Standard, they at least put a footnote. In Acts 8, 37, it says, see footnote. But the verse is gone. Down at the bottom, it says, late manuscripts insert verse 37. No, 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 no. Guys, you got it all wrong. Those supposed early manuscripts you're going on are the ones that took it out. It wasn't that the later guys inserted it, it's that the earlier guys took one out, that's all. There are over 200 verses totally missing from the NIV. There's a good book, uh, Understandable History, 
of the Bible. Sam Gipp, great big book, excellent book, really good on understanding the history of how we got our Bible. Or Gail Ripplinger's book, In Awe of Thy Word, it's like 1,200 pages, and it's only like 15 bucks or 18 bucks or something. Really, really a good one. There are many, many books that we offer on the King James controversy. If you want one that's toned down and kind of, you know, sweet, gentle, and mild, this would be it uh, by Sam Gipp. The Answer Book, excellent book on why King James. The language of the King James, why do they use these old words, thee and thou and stuff like that? Oh, there's a good reason for that. But the whole thinking that older is better is simply wrong. And how is Satan going to use these new versions toward bringing in his new world order? Well, this one, the New Age Bible Versions, is excellent by Gail Ripplinger, uh, Ph.D. in English. So older does not mean better. I have worn out many Bibles over my 37 years of being a Christian. Older doesn't mean better. So there are more manuscripts of the Bible than any other old book. Homer's Iliad, for instance, only has about 650 manuscripts. In 1946, they found 24,000 more manuscripts. Then the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and now they have 64,000 manuscripts that support the King James, and three complete manuscripts and 46 fragments that support the Alexandrian. Then the Isaiah Scroll, found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, was actually a thousand years older than the other manuscripts. So there's plenty of good books available on that. Uh, there are all kinds of things we could talk about on the problems with the King James, or problems with the other versions, like 2 Samuel 21. Who killed Goliath? Who killed Goliath? David killed Goliath. 2 Samuel 21 says, Elhanan, the son of no, his dad, uh, slew the brother of Goliath. NIV says, Elhanan, the son of the same guy, killed Goliath. This is an error. Okay? It's wrong. <laughs> it's, they blew it. All right, They left out verses, and we could scan through some of these. There's, all these verses are left out. There's a list on the website avpublications.com of verses that are left out. 200 verses are simply gone. And those that are the, still in there many times are changed to something meaning totally different. For instance, Hosea chapter 11, Judah yet ruleth with God. NIV, Judah is unruly against God. Would you say that is saying the same thing? Judah is also unruly against God? It's not saying the same thing. Thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, Genesis 27. That's one of the blessings. Your dwelling shall be away from earth's richness. Away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling. They're saying the opposite, folks. It's not the same. Proverbs 18. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. What's that mean? If you want to have a lot of friends, then be friendly. NIV. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Are these saying the same thing? Am I missing something here? If you've got a lot of friends, you'll be ruined? <laughs> That's what it says. That's not at all correct. The Bible says in Matthew 7, that narrow is the way. Straight is the gate, and narrow the way that leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Revised Standard says the gate is narrow, and the way is hard. Wait, is it hard to go to heaven, or just not many do it? Now, they use the these and the thous, and there's a reason for that, and then we'll go on to another subject here. Uh, if a word starts with y, it is plural. Ye, your, etc., okay? If it starts with T, it is singular, and there's an important reason. Nobody in 1611 was walking down the street saying, How art thou today? They weren't using that. But the King James translators wisely chose to use the these and the thous because of the distinction. If I walk into a room and say, You come with me, does that mean one of you or all of you? You can't tell. But if you use thee and thou, you can tell. You can see in John chapter 3 very clearly. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I said unto thee, singular, ye must be born again. He changed it to plural. I'm telling you that everybody must be born again. 
That's a really important distinction. Otherwise, he'd be saying, Nicodemus, I'm telling you that you've got to be born again. Well, how does that apply to Ken Hovind? It wouldn't apply. The fact is, it's very precise in the King James. So we can talk all day about that. We'll cover more in our college class. I think the whole concept you need to get in your head is, God promised He would preserve His Word, so where is it? I would like to hold a copy of it. And after 30-some years, I was slowly dragged, kicking and screaming into the King James camp. God preserved His Word for in English, and we've got it. A couple of verses really attract my attention because of I speak, my speaking on creation all the time. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9. King James says, To make all men see what is the mystery, the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. There are two important phrases here. It says, from the beginning of the world. That's a definite time. He created things by Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 says the same thing. Jesus created all things. Jesus is God in the flesh. Well, a lot of these new Bible versions uh, come from the Alexandrian, and they did not believe Jesus was God in the flesh. And the bookstores, of course, want to sell lots of Bibles, love of money, root of all evil, and they don't want to offend anybody. So, hey, let's sell a Bible version that doesn't offend people. So look what they did with Ephesians 3.9. Which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Well, they left off Jesus. You don't want to offend people, you know. And they made it ages past instead of from the beginning. Nearly all the new Bible versions have changed it to say ages, ages, ages. And they leave off Jesus in every case, except for the new King James. They left Jesus in there, but they still call it ages past. That's the only one I could find that left Jesus in there, but they all changed it to ages. They don't want to get this definite six-day, you know, young earth creationist because they might offend people and, again, lose money. Now, we could spend hours on the different um, problems with these verses. The last one that bothers me is, is it the first day in Genesis 1-5 or is it one day? Every version that I found says one day. King James says the first day. Why would they change it to one day? Well, again, they're trying to allow for the long periods of time. And I don't understand how somebody can read Genesis 1-5 and still believe there's a gap between verse 1 and 2 of any amount of time. More than an hour. The first day. It's couldn't be more clear in my mind. And there you have it, folks. That was the end of that episode. Um, it was a pretty short episode, so I figured, you know, it'd be a pretty good one to I'd be a pretty good one to put up, about twenty, you know, twenty minutes or so. So anyway, so that was it. And you know, I have lots and lots of information from other um different doctors regarding this King James Bible issue that some people seem to have. So I'm going to do some more podcasts on that, and I'm going to go over some of the different things that these newer versions have completely removed and stripped out and actually perverted in many in many instances. But it's just like what Ken Hovind was saying. You know, these guys are looking to change stuff so they can get a copyright so they can sell it to make more money. Okay, that's that's one of the things they're doing, among others. So, you know, when the copyright laws say you have to change something by 10% in order to get a new copyright, I mean, I can see that on some things, but I don't believe that should apply to a Holy Bible. You should not be able to say, hey, you need to change that Bible up to get a copyright. 
Which I mean, I personally don't think that a Bible should have a copyright. The King James Bible does not have a copyright, so why should any others? So I believe if you have a book in a Bible form that has a copyright that's using text from Alexandria, Egypt, or from a monastery's trash can, I believe that that's exactly what you're getting. You're getting trash. So, anyway, you let me know what you think. Um, Have any questions, concerns, whatever? Give me an email at truthseekers2012 at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our website at kennywilliamson.com. So, anyway, let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. I hope this helped you, and God bless you.